Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to Unruffled ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Most of us think a lot about our family's future. That's part of the job, right? And I'm sure you've heard that annoying piece of advice that says, don't buy that latte, invest instead. Well, we went for it a couple of years ago and opened a Robinhood account. To be honest, my husband wanted to cut down on coffee anyway. But you know what? Whatever your goals are, Robinhood could help your family build a better financial future. Investing a small amount now could make a big difference 30 years down the road. It's nice to be in the driver's seat and have autonomy when making investments, which is easy to do with Robinhood. Download the Robinhood app or visit Robinhood.com to start building a better financial future. That's Robinhood.com or download the app now to learn more. Of course, investing involves risk and loss of principal is possible. Returns are not guaranteed. Other fees may apply. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC is a registered broker dealer. You can count on T-Mobile to help keep you connected. After investing billions to light up their network from big cities to small towns, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, when you switch to T-Mobile, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus Verizon and AT&T. Visit your neighborhood store or tmobile.com to switch. Plan savings with T-Mobile, third line free on essentials via monthly bill credits versus comparable available plans. Plan features may vary. Credits stop if you cancel or change plans. Hi, this is Janet Lansbury. Welcome to Unruffled. Today, I'm very excited because two of my most favorite people in the whole universe are my guests on this show. And these are my daughters. For a couple of years now, I've been getting requests to hear from my children. What did they think about their upbringing? And I thought that was a good idea. And it seemed like there was a possibility for this to happen over the holidays. So I put out a question on my Facebook page asking what people would like to know from my children if they were to do an episode together. I was floored by the enthusiasm and all the wonderful questions that people had. Then my daughters had the thought that it would be better to do this without me in the room. That seemed like a good idea to me, so that's what they did. So they're kind of doing a takeover on Unruffled for this week. Okay, now you're going to hear from my daughters. And I just want to say a couple things to preface this. One is that we are undoubtedly a privileged family in many ways. However, the majority of points that my daughters bring up and that I share about, I truly believe can apply to families in every situation if they value these ideas. Another thing I want to mention is my daughters bring up RIE, which many of you may not know, is an acronym for Resources for Infant Educarers. So that's R-I-E, but it's pronounced RIE, like rye bread. This is the nonprofit organization founded by Magda Gerber. It's also used as a name for her philosophy or perspective on early childhood that is the foundation of everything that I teach. So with that, here are Charlotte and Madeline. Hi, I'm Charlotte. I'm 28 years old. I'm Madeline, and I'm 24 years old. We have a younger brother, but he couldn't be here today. Our mom gave us some questions that people asked on Facebook. We'll get to some of them and use that as sort of a guide to our conversation. 
But overall, we will just be discussing our experiences being raised by rye parents, I guess. Here we go. When, if ever, did you become aware of differences between the way you were parented compared to your friends or peers? Did you have any thoughts on these differences at the time? What's something you noticed your parents did differently than others that you're thankful for or didn't like? Well, I think definitely was aware in a school setting as far as, you know, being able to choose activities that we wanted to do. We were never made to do anything. I mean, I think that's pretty (laughs) fundamental to the philosophy, but we were never made to take a piano lesson. Everything was totally organically had to be our idea. And we did take piano lessons. And sometimes our idea was to take piano lessons. And it would be for, you know, three weeks and then we'd be over it and then we didn't have to take them anymore. (laughs) I think actually maybe there was a moment of try to persevere a little bit. But for the most part, we were allowed to do whatever hobbies we wanted to. And so I think Madeline was interested in mad science. So she got (laughs) to take mad science. Yeah, I feel like we got to explore a lot of different interests, which helped us gain a ton of new experiences, even if none of those ended up carrying, you know, I still now, if I'm doing the crossword, I know some of the music answers because I took music either in school and a little bit out of school. And I learned certain things that add to my knowledge of the world. But at the time I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. And and I just sort of threw that away, but I still gained stuff from it and at my own pace. Yeah, I have friends now who say pretty confidently that looking back, they wish that their parents would have forced them to do the violin or some sport because now they would be really good at it. I strongly feel totally the opposite. It's much more important to me that my parents raised me in a way that fostered the sense of, we trust you to choose your activities uh-huh. and pursue on the day-to-day basis. Yeah, the pa- your passion of the day. As well. Yeah. Or yeah, I feel week. like I'm one of those people who says that sometimes kind of jokingly, but like if I actually think back and evaluate, do I wish that I magically had some skill? Yeah, but that totally discounts all of the time that I would have had to spend doing something that I didn't want to do instead of being able to explore stuff that I did want to do. Um, but something that we've talked about recently is that When you're a kid, you don't really know how other kids are parented. You know, you can go to a kid's house and they have different foods, they have different toys and stuff like that, but you don't see the differences in the parenting until you're older and you can talk to them later about like, oh, what were your parents like when you were younger? Um, Yeah, whatever is in your household, you consider normal for a long time. I mean, I don't know that much about how the brain develops, but there's got to be a critical period for like when you start comparing yourself to others. It seems like middle school. It seems like it would be middle school. (laughs) I remember in middle school, all of a sudden, everything was like, I was self-conscious in a bunch of different ways that I wasn't before then, including like what was at my house and what other kids had and stuff. But before that point, which is arguably the more important part in terms of the philosophy that our parents use before that point, it's not something that you notice every day. You don't see other kids with their parents enough to understand what's going on in their household, and you don't care. Yeah, if you go over for a play date, you think of it more as like, oh, Catherine's brand is to have a bunch of, you know, Cheez-Its there, or they always have this particular game, but like, you don't feel that you're less than because you don't have that in your own house. Yeah. So I don't think you have to worry about your kids comparing themselves to other people in like preschool. <laughs> like no no child is that aware of those things or self-conscious about those things. Yeah. 
All right, next question. Next question. Did we ever feel that we had been left out of something when we witnessed other parents play with their children in a non-rye way since we had not received that style of engagement slash attention? This is this parent's fear when not taking over and leading their child's play. This is a no-brainer for me. No, not at all. Again, like what we were just saying, I think when you're a young kid, you don't really notice those things. And there was never a point when I was younger where I was like, ooh, I wish my mom would come and tell me what to play right now. Is it nice to be available for your child if they need another person to play with on their terms? Yeah, let them be able to find you. Right. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, anyway, it's not to instruct anyone on how to be a parent, but to answer the question, honestly, if I can think back to being a child and seeing the parents that really, I can remember specifically being in one of those um, clay pottery places, Color Me Mine or something, where, you know, you're given a raw pot that you can paint however you want, and then it gets fired, and you have this lovely pot to take home or to give as a gift. Um, and you know, you can use whatever colors you want and paint however you wish. And I remember being there with my mom who was letting me do whatever I pleased on this pot and looking at the table next to us. And there was a parent, it was like a very stark contrast. This mother was literally holding the daughter's hand to help her paint like a beautiful butterfly. And then finally the daughter just like gave up on trying to do anything on her own having her own autonomy so she kind of just lost interest and then all of a sudden it was literally just the mom creating this this piece of pottery and from what I can remember my reaction was kind of like this is dark (laughs) this mom is really intense if anything seeing a parent who was really obsessed with like being a part of their their kids play when I was able to kind of do my own thing I looked at that as a bit much I never felt oh I need more attention All right, next question. Did they go through a rebellious period where they shut you out, Madeline? I definitely did in high school, especially. And I think some of it was just some mental health stuff that I was going through at the unfortunate cross-section of time in which a kid is even more naturally predisposed to start shutting their parent out. So it was sort of a combination of factors. But yeah, I definitely did. But I think the comfort that I had during that time was I knew that my mom wasn't going to be offended by that in the long term. Like, she was never going to hold that against me. She maybe mentions it now and we look back and laugh together, but I knew that when I was ready to, like, come back and have conversations with my mom and be present and kind, then she would be there and ready to have those moments with me, too. She was never going to hold against me the fact that I wanted to just sit in my room and ignore them all day or just be kind of mean or whatever. Like, I knew that I was always going to be welcomed back in, which I think is really important because it's totally natural for, like, so so many people that I know had that same phase with their parents. And not every parent is willing to, to take themselves, their personal feelings out of it and mm-hmm. say, I know this isn't about me. It's about what my kid is going through right now. So let me just just be there for them from afar where they want me. (laughs) Yeah, not try to force it out of them. Yeah, because that just leads to further pushing people away. Yeah, it's like a a rebellion, it feels like, is like a long-term version of a tantrum. (laughs) Yeah. And you've got to let it happen. Exactly. And play itself out. Yeah. My only rebellion was that I wanted to dye my hair dark once, and my mom let me do it all by myself. And then it turned out striped. (laughs) And she regretted it. 
I regretted it. She my learned mom it. Yeah. Where's my stripy haired daughter? <laughs> Next question. Do we notice differences and similarities between us and peers in terms of handling hard situations or being able to navigate issues or feelings? I just feel that maybe in comparison to my peers, l- let me say since high school, I have always had a really positive relationship to my emotions at every end of the spectrum. And I don't know, I guess supposed to respect them in the same way that my mother respected them as a kid. Meaning if I'm really in sadness, if something, you know, if I someone's broken my heart or, you know, I'm disappointed and I have a regret or something, instead of trying to stifle it and push it away, I, I really do like to feel it because I, I do have a sense that if I don't feel this thing, it's just going to stay there bubbling under the surface and I'm not going to be able to get through it. So I've had friends who describe trying to stifle their feelings or repress them or make an urge to make them go away, which I just really have never felt. I, you know, it's not great to feel sad or mad, but I really try to feel them so that I can get through them. And I know that on the other end is probably an incredible happiness that can come through as long as I give time to the negative feelings. I totally agree with that. I definitely have been taught that it's okay to be sad one day because most likely nine times out of 10, I'll wake up the next day with some distance and feel a lot better. And I just had to have a sad day and that's just what had to happen. And I feel like our parents gave us a lot of space to have that when we were younger. How do you feel when you hear from friends about their upbringings? Do you feel grateful for the Rye approach? I definitely do. I think anytime I talk to my friends about their parents and how they grew up, I I can't think of a single time where I have thought, man, I wish my parents were more like yours. Almost always, I'm like, oof, I'm glad my parents weren't like yours. I'm so lucky to have the parents that I did and to have been raised the way that I was. It's hard to go all the way back to the core rye stuff of infant and toddler and know really how that was different from my friends, but definitely the slightly older years that I do remember, there definitely feels like there's a difference. And I always do feel like I come out on top in the parenting comparisons. Yeah, there were definitely times, you know, where I was frustrated maybe in the moment with, I don't know, not being allowed to see a movie or something. But in the long run, now, in hindsight, I realize everything actually was was pretty perfect. And above all, something that I am grateful for is the relationship that this approach has fostered between my mom and I. And I feel like looking back, everything that she did, every decision she made, every, you know, her parenting style just totally above everything has made us have a really copacetic, mutually respectful bond that's really special. Yeah, I agree with that. I definitely have a stronger relationship with my parents than a lot of people who I know and a lot of my peers in the long run. Even though I did have that moment of shutting them out and everything like that, it is now something where I feel like I can come to my parents with anything and they will always be there for me. And if they need anything from me, I'll I'll reciprocate. Like There is definitely that mutual respect that is shockingly rare. And I don't realize how rare it is until I talk to people my age. 
Yeah, I think that the trust element was really powerful. And I guess I always felt, and this has got to be since I was an infant, that my parents trusted me to make my own decisions. And, you know, of course... They don't let you drive off a cliff. Yeah, that can go totally overboard as being totally permissive, in no way permissive. But just kind of, you know, through every phase of life respectful and trusting that our instincts were at least a little bit right or just part of the process of our evolution as a human being. That's something that's really carried through and now has just fostered this great dynamic that I'm so, so, so grateful for and I feel really stands out uh, amongst my peers. Great. Next question. How do you think your relationships with your parents and siblings have evolved over time? Well, we touched on the relationship with our parents and as far as how it's evolved i mean it starts out being a parent really has to parent because mm-hmm. they have to make sure you don't the safety net is a little tighter when yeah they have younger. to make sure you survive <laughs> mm-hmm. but then over time we were then able to make our own decisions and i think you can touch more on the sib- our sibling dynamic we're all four years apart and yeah. so we all had phases of being really close with one of our siblings. Maybe you didn't with Ben, the youngest, as no, much. No, I had it with you where you were my but little you had doll. It, so I, <laughs> You're my baby so doll. I had a phase first of being very close with Charlotte and playing all together a lot. And then she got older and Ben got older. And so I could then play with him. And he was my <laughs> sort yeah, of it's like being the baby boss doll. Of them. doll but yeah. <laughs> when you're an older sibling, you get to be a little bit of the boss of the other Madeline one. and I basically exclusively played school where I was the teacher. <laughs> yeah. And I tried to do that with Ben and be the teacher, but it didn't work as well. So we just sort of played with toys and went outside and I don't know, whatever. So I had moments where I was closer with Charlotte and then moments where I was closer with Ben and then moments after that, where I just wanted to be close to nobody. And I I think that there were conflicts during those times, but our parents never involved themselves to the extent of saying, well, now you have to say sorry. I think with, with my younger brother, I had a lot of conflicts with him where it would sometimes involve tackling each other and you know, someone would be in tears, mostly just for the drama of it, not because we were hurt. Of course, if if we were hurt, that would be something different. But we had really some intense moments and I never felt like I was forced to be sorry about it. I think I felt sorry about it when I realized, oh my gosh, what just happened with my sweet little brother? And because I was given sort of that that moment to realize what had happened and feel bad about it naturally and rather than just being told well now you have to say sorry and it feeling super surface level I was able to realize the impact that I was having on this other person (laughs) who was smaller than me rather than being forced to save face just to to soothe your mom it can be terrifying as a parent to see your beautiful you know offspring (laughs) mid-tackle but just trying to smooth it over and force right. both parties to apologize or just to make nice is kind of 
Yeah, I feel like I feel like at the end of the day, like the core of it is that I got to choose whether I liked my little brother or not. And at the end of the day, because he was my little brother and he was sweet and fun and we had so much fun together, I chose to like him and now I adore him and I think he's the coolest person ever. But there were many moments where it might have seemed like I didn't and my mom could have tried to sort of selfishly say, you know, say sorry to him, say sorry to him. And that wouldn't have been genuine and that would have fostered some sort of resentment. Whereas because I was able to have the moment of naturally coming to that conclusion of feeling bad about something mean that I did to him, I was able to actually forge a genuine relationship with him that is now great because it got to be organic. Yeah. Next question. Do we feel intrinsic motivation instead of doing things to seek approval? 100%. Yeah. This was something that in school, I mean, friends would talk about, oh, my parents are are mad at me for getting a bad grade, or I have to do this because of my parents, or they're helping me with my homework. This was just like totally foreign to me. And finally, as I was like in high school, I kind of, I was just fully aware of the situation being very different in my household than it was with my classmates, because my parents didn't know if I had homework or not. They didn't ask me. They, they kind of let school be my own territory. And whether or not I wanted to do an assignment was completely up to me. They realized that there are enough forces in effect at school in that landscape that you'll be punished for a bad grade and you'll be rewarded for a good one. Right. Within I mean, that to, context. To be fair, we went to a school that was very academically – that was – placed in high importance. And it's not in all schools, but in the school that we went to, it was. And so there were already forces at play that would make you want to do well. But in terms of our personal experience, I totally agree. And I think that our younger brother would also agree. We've all been very self-motivated and we all want to do well, but I agree that I don't really know why besides just <laughs> we know that we can, I think. Like, I, I knew that I was never going to be punished or rewarded either. I had friends who were, like, paid for good grades. Yeah, but my parents didn't even get that excited if I did that, that well. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, they they'd sort of match our level of excitement. So if, so if we said, shoot, I got you know, this grade and I'm not that happy with it, then they would be like, oh, that's too bad. But it's not a big deal, you know? Because I think like parents who would say my kid is not doing well in this class, therefore I need to get them tutored in it. Mm -hmm. And they need tutoring because they need to get to this level. I think a lot of that comes from, you know, they feel like they're failing if their child isn't doing well. Maybe it's just not the right time. Yeah. Yeah. And I think forcing it, forcing it, forcing it is – Just another thing that probably breeds resentment between child and parent. Yeah. I think school is the most clear example of intrinsic motivation. Yeah. And something that can't be taught. Yeah. That's what I read about in the psych book once. Can't be taught. All right. Next. Someone said they know it's beneficial to limit screen time, but they'd love to hear the long-term benefits and our perspective on that. I think the first thing that I'll say is that screen time now is so different than screen time when we were kids. 20 years ago, I guess now we were kids, because now screens are actively trying to take your child's attention, whereas when we were kids, it was basically TV and movies. Um, And then as we grew older, I think like in middle school, people started to get smartphones, and that's something where the device is actively trying to get you to use it more, so it's a lot 
more difficult to keep your kids away from it now. But that being said, it goes back to what we said earlier, which is that what is normal in your household is what kids see as normal. Our normal was we got to watch movies on the weekends and we didn't get to watch TV unless we were homesick. And so I that still was feel just sick when I watch TV. <laughs> if I watch TV during the day, it's, there's something psychosomatic. I become sick. <laughs> so yeah. that's conditioning. And it, I can't just yeah, have I'm, TV on in the background. Because I it, must engage with it because it was not put in front of us as a distraction or as something that would keep our attention while our parents could. I mean, I'm assuming while we were watching a movie, they did get to have some much needed them time. But that w- ne- was never posed as that was its means to an end. It was it was like just a nice little treat that we got to have. But TV, because it was something that we got to watch so rarely to this day, I have to actively engage with. I can't just tune it out. Instead of being desensitized by watching so much TV, I say I'm super sensitive to it, I guess. Which um, I don't think is a bad thing for the record. I, like, I think... At the time, did I wish that I could watch more? Maybe because it felt like such a treat. It's like, it's like, it was like sugar in a way in terms of like, you want more because it's exciting and it tastes good, but it's nice to keep that tasting good and not for it to turn into this bland thing that doesn't mean anything. Of course, it's harder and harder these days because we now have phones. Yeah, you know, that's what I'm we, saying. It's we like have phones screens, now. It's totally but, a different which game. Which you can constantly but. engage with and is more personal and, you know, is a whole nother realm. It's a screen, but it's something that you're engaging with actively. But as far as how little we watch TV as kids, I can say a long-term benefit is if I have a moment of pause and I have nothing to do, the last thing I think of is turn on the television. It's ultimately, maybe I end up doing something a little more productive or more introspective yeah and in the moment too if when we were bored as kids we'd be running around the house going i'm bored i'm bored i'm bored and our mom would be like i hope you figure yeah. that out like I, here's some ideas if you want them but none of them are going to be tv so yeah we weren't able to just pacify with tv we had to figure out other ways of spending time which i don't know how that can possibly be a bad thing yeah friends who had households that were really overstimulating who would have like Friends who had like the new, because there were also video games, which we didn't have. We never Until had. Until we were older. Yeah, I never had one though. Because well, I, I was you weren't, the first in, one. you weren't that interested. In um, I asked for, I asked for a Game Boy every Christmas for like four years. Just never oh. came from Santa. Well, it never came. It was those Santa skipped over that line every time. <laughs> well, I got a Game Boy when I was older yeah. because it was much more prevalent then and I could make a three-point argument as to why I <laughs> ought to have one. I would just sneak it on the list. <laughs> I never got it. But friends who came and had like these awesome involved video games at their house, when they would come to mind, they would be, I think the word was thrown around, I'm bored. They, they, <laughs> they, they were bored because they were used to being so overstimulated. But once they got in the vibe of the Lansbury household and I showed them our playhouse and I started involving them in a really, really, really upbeat game of house <laughs> they wanted to come to my house all the time yeah no it's that. that's true because it's actually more fun and you can sustain it for longer you don't get bored 
That's true. I would go to my friend's house who would have TV on all day and I would get bored there and there was nothing that I could do because my friend just wanted to keep watching TV. Whereas when they came to my house, we wouldn't be allowed to do that. And so we'd have to play with dolls all day and we could spend hours and I would never get bored. So it's just sort of a a mind numbing experience. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, that was a long answer. One more. Um, Was your mom always unruffled? For the most part, I think I, I, there's never been a point where I feel like my mom lashed out at us for any reason, even if we were lashing out at her, which I think is what that comes down to, really. Or um, when we're in a state of stress, becoming stressed also. Right. Like, I, I'm sure that there was moments where she didn't feel unruffled, but she never took it out on us, which I think is the important thing and the, and the hard thing to do in that moment. Um, but yeah. When we were having a tough moment, she would at least appear to me to be way calmer than I was when I was flailing around or whatever. Yeah. And I think that that's good. I do do feel like even now, if I am having a really, really hard time, I do feel like my mom is that source of stability and my dad as well. They're both people who I can go to because growing up, they were always the person who I could go to who would be calm and able to help me with an issue. Yeah, and I think I've been able to model that in my relationships as an adult. You know, they always let us feel the feeling, throw the tantrum, you know, not get all worked up if we were in this high state of arousal. And I now, in my close relationships, I'm able to model, I suppose, an unruffled approach when it comes to trying to manage other people's feelings. You know, our parents... When we're in a higher arousal state, they would, I think, not become very flustered or would just let us sort of feel those feelings and and get through this like blackout state where we're so worked up that we can't behave like ourselves or Mm -hmm. say anything that we actually mean. And, you know, as as adults, everyone has their own version of little tantrums and just, you know, I'm always hyper aware of the fact that when a person's in that state – I can't trust anything they say, and that it's something that they have to go through in order to come out on the other side. And so I try to practice my mom's unruffled approach (laughs) in my adult life. (laughs) It usually works. Um, I think that's all of the questions that we have ready to answer, so... Thanks for joining us. This has been fun. Thanks for letting us be guests on our lovely mother, (laughs) on our lovely mother's podcast. Hopefully, you liked us. Otherwise, (laughs) otherwise you'll never listen to another one again. But (laughs) no hate mail. (laughs) Uh, We probably missed stuff, but um. yeah, you can always throw us a follow on Instagram. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) I think that's it. Hope you all are having a wonderful start to the new year. Thanks for listening. Be safe, everybody. Thank you so much, Charlotte and Madeline. It means a lot to me that you were willing to do this. I also want to say that I was pretty surprised by my daughter's conviction and effusiveness in some of the points that they made. What surprised me the most actually was this last question. Am I unruffled? Was their mother unruffled? And honestly, I would have thought my daughters would have said something more to the effect of, well, my mom's human like anyone else. And most of the time she was calm, but she had her moments like all parents do, but they didn't. So what this tells me is a couple of kind of comforting things. One, that 
our children's memories tend to be forgiving. And two, we don't need to be calm all of the time. We don't need to be perfect. If we can embrace a respectful, unruffled approach the majority of the time, that's all that matters. Parents don't need to be on their game at every moment, especially if we repair, we come clean with our children, and admit our mistakes. We really can do this. Please check out some of the other podcasts on my website, janetlansbury.com. They're all indexed by subject and category, so you should be able to find whatever topic you might be interested in. And both of my books are available in paperback at Amazon, No Bad Kids, Toddler Discipline Without Shame, and Elevating Childcare: A Guide to Respectful Parenting. You can get them in ebook at Amazon, Apple, Google Play, or barnesandnoble.com, and in audio at audible.com. As a matter of fact, you can get a free audio copy of either book at Audible by following the link in the liner notes of this podcast. Thanks so much for listening. If you like Unruffled, you can listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com slash survey.